0: Benzie. Hi, Moby! So, we are here for another episode of MobyPod, and I think this one might need to come with a caveat.
1: Big, big caveat.
0: Or, aka, some sort of, a little bit of a cautionary warning. <laughs> because we're gonna talk about some lighthearted stuff.
1: Like pickup lines and our first records. Yeah,
0: first record, ridiculous pickup lines, but how sometimes ridiculous pickup lines can yield lasting love and romance.
1: Mm -hmm. Uplifting.
0: But we might also have a very long conversation about quantum mechanics and the unknowable nature of the universe.
1: So, it's it's not a short conversation. I'm going to say we go pretty deep. You know, if that's something that is difficult for you to think about, as it is for me. I mean, I got through that. I actually had, I had thought it was a good conversation. But, you know, just caveat, we do go deep into physics, and um, I'm not a physician. Mm -hmm. Is that what a physics person is called? That's a doctor.
0: The physicist is a... A
1: Physicist. (laughs) Anyway, so that's kind of how this conversation goes. Um, So just sit back, relax, and get ready to go into a realm of subatomic question marks.
0: And the unknowable nature of existence. Or at least from my perspective, the unknowable nature of objective existence. Okay, so Lindsay, I have a question for you. Ask away. What's the first record you ever bought? Or was given to you, the first record you ever remember bringing home? What was it? And do you still have it? And tell me about it.
1: Okay, I think the year was 1996.
0: Okay, I'd already been making records for six years at that (laughs) point. Yeah.
1: I was in elementary school. I'm so old. (laughs) (laughs) And... I was in love with Lauren Hill, and they had... Fugees. The Fugees had a record come out with that song Killing Me Softly on it, mm-hmm. and I saved up my money from mowing the lawn, from picking weeds, from doing whatever my mom needed to go to the Best Buy with a Ziploc baggie full of coins and dollar bills and i bought that fuji's record
0: and this i mean cds were expensive
1: it was expensive i mean i can't remember how much it was but i think it was like 16 dollars. and i paid for it in mostly coins and the person there honestly i don't remember them having a negative reaction to it i think they were probably kind of um impressed that uh nine-year-old was coming in there with a Ziploc (laughs) bag. He used to buy a Fuji's album.
0: (laughs) Okay. So you cut your parents' lawn and did weeding. What were the other chores that you did that you got paid for?
1: Sometimes dishes, sometimes babysitting my brother or his friends if I stayed home with them, or sometimes babysitting other kids in the neighborhood, which I don't think I was old enough to, I'm like, I should have probably been babysat at that point, but you know, I was very mature for my age. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, I can't remember anything else. I would have, cl- other like vacuuming a certain room. You know, my mom would give me a dollar here, a dollar there.
0: Okay, so you get your Fuji's CD, you mm-hmm. bring it home. Uh, and then what happened?
1: And then I had a real—I think it was the summertime when this happened. I would just lay on the air conditioning vent and play the play <laughs> the this CD. This was in Texas. This was in Georgia. Okay, and it was very hot, and I would put a blanket over me and create a sort of cool tent in the, above the air vent, and bring my little um, CD player into my. Uh, cool tent and just play fujis in the summertime
0: over the air conditioning vent mm-hmm, exactly. What else did you did you do during the summer?
1: Well, at that time when I was living in Georgia, we had um we had like a little pool and tennis court at the bottom of the neighborhood that we lived in and behind it there was like a fort that the kids made some of other neighborhood kids like older kids Mm -hmm. and we would go swim in the pool you know dive for coins and such which by the way there's no better food than the sandwich your mom brings you after you've been swimming in the pool for six hours.
0: I would say as an adjunct to that the only thing that's better is the population Popsicle that you have after the sandwich, like a pool, a pool Popsicle with like the sticky paper and like, and you end up sort of chewing on the wooden Popsicle stick.
1: Or we had the ones that were in the little plastic pouch, the like icy sticks. (sighs) Those were so good. Yeah. A pool
0: popsicle is one of the most delicious things when you're seven years old. Oh, my
1: God. I remember that pool sandwich that she or one of the other moms would bring and just being like, if food has ever tasted better. And it was just like whatever, like a plastic cheese and mayo and white bread sandwich. And I would just be like, this is absolute heaven. (laughs) But then we would go down to the fort that the older kids made. And there was a, a secret box full of like. 80s playboy magazines wow and that's how i learned what human bodies look like
0: <laughs> it sounds idyllic so like your it na- kind of in, was so your neighborhood had kids and a pool and mm-hmm. a tennis court mm-hmm. and a fort and a box with old water damaged playboy mm-hmm. magazines in it
1: mm-hmm. exactly yeah it was pretty great i gotta say
0: Wow, I'm, yeah I'm, 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 I mean, I know this is a while ago, but I'm kind of jealous.
1: and then all the pa- the parents would have parties a lot, and then all the kids would come, and we would just go play in the playroom and like play video games and like play with everyone's different toys. Wow, That's where I tried my first wine cooler. <laughs> 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 um, okay, what about you? What about your first record?
0: Okay, so at the end of my first record story, I feel like my mom should have figured out that I was going to be an alcoholic. (laughs) Okay. So the year... Okay, I'm almost hesitant to say the year because it makes me feel so ancient. The year was either 1974 or 1975.
1: <laughs> Don't you mean, the year it was? <laughs> yeah.
0: And my mom had a great record collection, so I used to listen to her records. I mean, she had everything from Crosby, Sills, Nash & Young, to The Doors, to John Coltrane, to Baba Ola Tunji, to Dvorak. Like, I just constantly, from the time I was maybe five years old, would just go through all her records.
1: Your mom had some taste. She had
0: some really Your mom cool was an records. artist. She yeah. sounds
1: like she was... Cool. Kind of a cool lady.
0: Yep. And so I, of course, would listen to her records, but the first record I ever had of my very, very own. Mm -hmm. So I was in Stratford, Connecticut, and my best friend at the time was a little boy named Ron Little. So one day he and I were walking around Stratford, Connecticut, where we both lived, and somehow we looked down a sewer drain, and there was in this storm drain the greatest thing anyone has ever discovered in a storm drain apart from a murderous clown there was a 5 dollar bill oh my god and i don't i still don't know why we looked in it but like we saw this 5 dollar bill we we're like oh my god but was, we couldn't get it so then we had to, like, find a long, long stick. <laughs> we went in someone's yard. We got a long, long stick. We put some, like, we're like, well, what if we put some mud on the end of the stick, it'll stick to the $5 bill. And so he essentially speared the $5 bill. And as he pulled it up, I grabbed it. And somehow this worked. our, like, MacGyver stick with the mud on the end of it got the $5 bill, which we both understood was his because he had seen it first. Mm-hmm. And we ran home. And I remember him running in my house. He called my mom by her first name, Betsy. And it's like, Betsy, Betsy, we found $5. So my mom, Betsy, took us to Bradley's, which was, are you familiar with a discount store called Caldor's? Mm-mm. Okay. Caldor's was very low rent. Bradley's was the lower rung of Caldors, like. Let's say Caldor's was the 99 cent store. Bradley's would have been the 9 cent store. Like (laughs) filthy, dirty, cheap. But it's where we went because we were poor. We were all on food stamps. We were all on welfare. So my mom drove us to Bradley's and my friend gave me a dollar because it seemed fair. Wow. Cool kid. I ran to the record section in Bradley's. Mm -hmm. It was a 99 cent 7 inch single. Of convoy by C. W. McCall. You might not know this song; very few people do. It was what created the CB radio craze of the 70s. So it's a song about truckers and CB radios. And oh, did I love this song!
1: Why? What are the truckers saying to each other?
0: They they create a convoy, and they like the police try and stop them, and they keep breaking through. What's a convoy? Is a that convoy like is a group of a bun- trucks? Oh, you don't know about a con? You're from the south? You don't know convoys?
1: I do have a cousin that's a trucker, and yet I find myself unaware of a convoy.
0: (sighs) (laughs) A convoy is a long group of vehicles. Okay. So it's like a lot of trucks would, I guess they would like get a bunch of trucks together and they would drive
1: together as, a, to, as friends
0: as friends but and then is, maybe
1: kiss sometimes at the stops um well,
0: so in this case the song is a story and i highly recommend go listen I to love it a story song because it's a country western spoken word song that also has a sung chorus so it's almost like a proto hip-hop song
1: okay i like this but wait why are they running from the cops what did the convoy do
0: That's the thing. They just, they create this convoy and they don't want to stop for anybody, but the cops keep trying to stop their convoy. This song was such a cultural phenomenon. They made a movie after it.
1: What was the movie called?
0: It's called Convoy.
1: Jeepers Creepers? No, the
0: movie is called Convoy. Chris Christopherson was the lead in the movie Convoy about these truckers who just, they're not going to stop for anything. And the police keep trying to stop them and they keep breaking through when the police are trying to stop them. So the song was about that. Then the movie with Chris Christopherson was about that. So this was phenomena. And my friends and I were so obsessed with CB radios, we couldn't afford a CB radio, so we would just talk to each other as if we had CB radios.
1: Like, uh, this is Moby uh, coming in, I got a schnauzer on the <laughs> big top.
0: <laughs> I got a schnauzer on the big top. <laughs> yeah, we would. We were in, what, third or fourth grade, walking through the halls of Birdseye Elementary School in Stratford talking to each other like we were truckers. Over
1: and out, like so that
0: Ah, oh, this is Moby, and I got a 1020. Come at you, big breaker, over. <laughs> I got a schnauzer on the big top. <laughs> so I, I got the 7-inch home, and I listened to it, and I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard. I picked up the needle, and I listened to it again. I listened to it 40 times in a row.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, that makes sense.
0: I only stopped because my mom concernedly came and said, oh, it's time for dinner. Because every time the song ended, I was like... That was the greatest three and a half minutes of my life. I want to do it again. And I feel like I applied that same logic to drinking and drugs. (laughs) So, yeah. So, my long-winded story about the first record was Convoy by C.W. McCall. And you don't need to watch the movie because the movie maybe has not held up very well. Mm -hmm. But the song... Oh, what a great song.
1: I'm interested in both. And let me just say, I think that anything you do, you do with great verve and commitment. And unfortunately, that also includes alcohol and drugs.
0: And I remember my mom being sort of curious and endeared, but a little concerned when I kept listening (laughs) 40 times is a lot to listen to one song over and over again. Like she would, after like maybe the 15th time, she'd be like, hey, don't you want to do something else? Or like, don't you think 15 times is enough? And I would ignore her and just keep playing Convoy over and over and over again.
1: Do you remember that song, Love Fool by the Cardigans? No. It's like, love me, love me.
0: Oh, that one. No, please don't sing it because that's such an earworm. Now now it's going to be stuck in my head. I'm so
1: sorry. Okay. That's okay. So when I first heard that I didn't know it had the
0: name. I thought it was just Love Me song.
1: Loveful Cardigans. This was around the same same era. I was obsessed with this song, but the problem was it would get stuck in my head. And I really didn't like the feeling of the song being stuck in my head. And this guy who I was friends with, who I really liked, um, his name was Corey Schnocky. And he was like, there's only one solution. And I was like, what? He's like, you have to listen to the song until your brain rejects the song. And I was like, what? And so I listened- How old
0: was- Corey Shinaki.
1: We were like, I don't know, 10 or 11.
0: Corey seems either very sadistic or wise.
1: I think he was very wise and I don't know what he's doing now, but I'm sure it's something really cool because he was cool. He was a very good friend. Whatever happened to Kuriyonaki? I'm going to look into this. Anyway, he was like you have to listen to it over and over until your brain rejects it, and I did it. So I listened to this song so many times. I had my little Walkman, the mm-hmm. the CD player with the thing that you had to keep perfectly upright or else it, the whole thing would so it was a commitment on my part. Um I so I had that CD and I just had to listen to that song on repeat over it and over and over again. I don't remember which I think means it did work.
0: Cuz my assumption is that if by listening to an earworm song over and over again it just further burrow itself into your brain which is why when you started singing it you got upset I was like oh not upset I was just like oh no because it's such there's certain songs that are just such torturous it's not even a bad song but it's just such it just gets into your
1: that's what I remember one time my girlfriend and I got in a fight because she was really annoyed and frustrated because she had that Avicii song stuck in her head and it was making her so angry that she was like lashing out at me
0: (laughs) Do you know a funny story about that? And I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. This is the story that I was told. Okay. That's the big Avicii hit.
1: So wake me up when it... Yeah.
0: So... Here's the story that I was told. My friend Mike from the band Incubus, mm-hmm. who's had a very interesting life in addition to Incubus. Like he's actually studied classical composition. I think he went back to college at the height of Incubus's success to go back and study classical composition. But he's also produced a lot of music. So, he had two sessions in his studio that day. And again, this is the story I was told. One was with this up-and-coming singer named Aloe Black. Yeah. So Aloe Black came to his studio, they were working on music, I guess, who knows, maybe not much happened, and then Avicii came over, Mm -hmm. and Mike and Aloe Black started playing their song, and Avicii put drum underneath it, and in 30 minutes it was done. Wow. That's the story I was told. Maybe 45 minutes, but like, so it was just this happenstance meeting between Aloe Black and Avicii at Mike's house. And apparently Avicii debuted it at, I believe, the Ultra Music Festival. Mm -hmm. So this big moment in front of like 100,000 people. And apparently they hated it because it's a very unconventional dance song. Like people didn't get it, but then it obviously went on to become one of the biggest dance songs of the last 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Just because... Mike and Aloe Black happened to be there when Avicii came over.
1: That's incredible. It's kind of magical, honestly, the fate involved and even the timing. Yeah, you it's know? a wonderful
0: song. I got it the first time I heard it. I was like, "Wow, this is really
1: it's special. It's soulful. Really special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Well, I love I love your first record story, but I also love that it was an indication of things to come in a way.
0: Yeah, the obsession.
1: But also, it goes to show that your like interest in in music and w- how things work, and the, that it was a story and all of that. Like, I think that it also says a lot about your artist mind and the
0: obsession with music. So I remember the first song I ever heard was "Proud Mary" by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Ooh. The year was 1968. Oh my god. And I was in the car with my mom. I was three years old. And we were living in Danbury, Connecticut, in this weird, scary Victorian rooming house next to a prison. <laughs> and it was cold, like one of those like February, like Connecticut, New England, depressing, gray, muddy, like cold, wet snow on the ground that's turning to mud. And our car was this beat-up old car that had an AM radio, because I don't even know if FM radio existed at that point. And Proud Mary came on the radio. And I refused to get out of the car until the song had finished. Wow. So we were sitting in the driveway, freezing cold. Our car didn't have heat because it was a secondhand crappy car that didn't have heat. It had a barely functioning AM radio and holes in the floor. And my mom was kind of annoyed, but also, I think, intrigued at her three-year-old who refused to get out of the car until this piece of music had ended.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, I remember it very, very clearly sitting there in my little wet – I don't know if it was like this when you were growing up, but everything was wet in the wintertime. Just like your clothes, your socks, your shirts, your – everything just had this like damp – cold wetness to it.
1: Terrible. Awful. We lived in, for a little bit when I was little, we lived in Lepore, Indiana, which is like northern yeah. Indiana, which is desolate and cold. And and we had moved there from Hawaii. And I remember when we moved there, it was like December. And I, I was wearing jelly slippers because we had come from Hawaii. And we were just not prepared for it to be snowy there. I don't know how that happened, but we were wearing jelly slippers in like the snowy parking lot walking through it. <laughs> I, you know, I learned my lesson.
0: Yeah. And not to malign Indiana, but I've been in Indiana in the wintertime. Like one of my first, I think the only time I ever played in Indiana, I was on tour with the band The Prodigy and we played a food court in Indianapolis on a Sunday night <laughs> to about 30 people. Yeah. <laughs> And it was cold and sad and grim, but nothing against Indiana, just like definitely like, yeah. So you know of what I speak when I talk about like cold, wet, sad.
1: Oof! But also from living in New York, I just remember there was a rare moments when I actually felt fully dry and comfortable throughout the entire winter.
0: Okay. So thank you for telling me the story. Of your first song and thank you for letting me ramble on about the story of my first no, that's, record. It's
1: really interesting. And now I need to look up Convoy. Convoy
0: by song C- by C- and CW. Convoy Call. movie. Watch the trailer for the movie because I think they I think the video for the song is the trailer for the movie.
1: Love that. Oh it's very good. <laughs> So we talked about records, but earlier we were joking about funny pickup lines. And I think that we should share our favorite funny pickup lines.
0: Okay. I also have a funny pickup line story.
1: Great. Let's start there.
0: Okay. And it involves someone who listens to our podcast.
1: Oh, God. Okay. But I'm
0: not going to mention his name because, again, I don't want to get people in trouble. Okay. Okay. Um, but he'll know. Well, I know? You know him as well, sort of. Okay. He's a fan. Of, he's a big fan of yours. In fact, oh God. he kind of wishes the podcast was just you talking <laughs> and like me sitting in the background, like engineering and occasionally playing guitar. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, my friend, who shall remain nameless, because I don't want—I've already gotten him enough trouble in the past. But he, in the mid '90s. We had both sort of grown up as weird Christians, like mm. nerdy Christian, awkward kids. But mm. he somehow started, and I guess in his twenties, turning into this incredibly handsome, charismatic, charming man. And he'll—I'm afraid the to say that because his ego is already like—he's he, like, "Oh, really? Tell me more about him." <laughs> but yeah, he became this very handsome, sort of like looked like. A more approachable version of Tommy Lee, sort of. Wow, okay. Like, Tommy Lee meets Colin Farrell.
1: Wow. Yeah, very,
0: very handsome man. And as a result, his dating life was a a happy thing. I'm trying to say that (laughs) diplomatically. And so, 1996.
1: The year I was buying my Fuji's album. The
0: year you were buying your Fuji's album, there was a bar on Orchard Street. No, Ludlow Street in New York called Luna Lounge. Did Mm -hmm. you ever go to Luna
1: Lounge? No. I mean, if I did, I don't remember. I
0: don't remember when it closed, but so Luna Lounge was, they would have performances like Bob Odenkirk and David Cross used to perform there all the time. Bands would play, but it was just like across the street from Max Fish. Did you ever go to Max Fish?
1: Mm, I don't think so. That might've been before my time.
0: Well, Max Fish closed like 10 years ago. So it- it,
1: Oh, so no, it was there when I was there, but I didn't go there.
0: So Luna Lounge, so my friend and our friend, Paul went into Luna Lounge on a Tuesday night. There were only two other people in the bar, two women sitting at the bar. And so my friend, who shall remain nameless, and our friend (laughs) Paul walked up to the bar. I think they were already kind of drunk, ordered drinks and walked over to these two very attractive women sitting at the bar. Mm -hmm. And my friend turned to one of the women randomly. It's like 11 p.m. on a Tuesday night in an empty bar. And he said are those space pants you're wearing? And she said, please leave me alone. (laughs) And he said, because you're out of this world. And she said, seriously, I have a boyfriend. I'm just here with my friend, having a drink. Please leave us alone. And he <laughs> said, you know, if I could rearrange the alphabet. And she said, no, come on, please. I have a boyfriend. Please leave me alone. He said, I'd put you and I together.
1: Oh, wow. Those are, those are old school. But and I like them. I mean, those are classics.
0: From that random encounter on a Tuesday night at Luna Lounge with these old school pickup lines... They've been married ever since. They have two kids. They run a business together. So.
1: Oh my God! They worked. Yep. So she didn't have a boyfriend.
0: She did. She, she broke, broke
1: up with him because those pickup that, lines I were think so good.
0: that night she broke up with her boyfriend and has been with my friend ever since. Whoa! So random. They walk into a bar. They'd never met before. There's no way they would have ever met because they're from very. They lived in different states. So somehow pickup lines, which are awkward and uncomfortable, led to these two friends of mine who've been married since basically, yeah, like I think they finally got married in 99 or 2000. Wow. So they've been together for almost 30 years because of two drunken pickup lines in a bar on Ludlow Street in New York.
1: I mean, that's incredible. And also, now I guess I'm going to be pro pickup line.
0: I guess a lot of it is context. Like whoever's using the pickup line, what's the yeah, environment? Yeah, there's
1: delivery. There's a whole, yeah, there's a, it there's a lot. It helps that my
0: friend was charismatic and charming and looks like a cross between Tommy Lee and Colin Farrell.
1: Yeah, that doesn't hurt.
0: If it had been like someone who looked like a cross between Chris Christie and Wally Shawn. <laughs>
1: Might maybe, have been a different story. It,
0: yeah. Okay, so now please tell me some of your favorite pickup lines.
1: Okay, so two of them are prop lines where you have to have a prop, okay? So the first one is you grab a sugar packet from, like, the little thing of sugars, preferably the one that says sugar on it in, like, big blue lettering. Okay. And then you have it in your hand and you act like you've dropped it on the floor and you pick it up and you go, oh, I'm sorry, you seem to have dropped your name tag. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, For sound effects, we might want to put some cricket sounds in there.
1: (laughs) Okay. And then the other one is you're standing with someone and you go, Oh my gosh, I just need to check something. And you check the tag on the back of their shirt. And then you go, Yep, just what I thought. 100% angel. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then sometimes if you're, if you're walking behind someone and they look behind you and they, you know, they look again, you can say, you know, my parents always told me to follow my dreams. Wow. Um, And then sometimes, if you're on a train with somebody, you can say, Is this the Hogwarts Express? Because I feel like you and I are headed someplace magical. (laughs) <laughs> um, okay so that one's pretty good all but also of them I are have... fantastic
0: but that the hogwarts express one is pretty special
1: okay i have one more that i really like which is where you act like ugh, like you're really hurting and you're talking to someone you just like suddenly are like oh god and you go i think i'm gonna need your insurance information because i've been blinded by your beauty
0: yeah the hogwarts express one was great
1: yeah that one got a real chortle out of you Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, also I haven't been on a date in seven years. So, (laughs) and I never, I I never had the confidence to use pickup lines.
1: Well, I mean, they're not, they're not uh, natural for everyone. You know, some people it kind of fits with their sense of humor.
0: I I feel like at some point, mainly by hanging out with my friend who's now been married to the woman he met at Luna Lounge, like he used to have this, all these great pickup lines.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and I don't, I could never use any of them because I was too nervous. But I feel like at one point I had quite a lot of pickup lines that I, but now I've forgotten them because I'm so old and out of practice and my memory.
1: There's also one that's like, you must be so tired because you've been running through my mind all night. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that feels really old school, like it's 1970 at a bar in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Or like a private investigator in Oakland in 1957 walks up like drinking brown liquor, smoking cigarettes, and wearing pork pie hats.
1: Ooh, a pork pie hat.
0: Is that what they're called? Like I think so, yeah. Okay, so pick up lines. Maybe at some point I'll try and remember some of the other... There were a few, but they were kind of racy. And, you know, I'm not comfortable with that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, those are uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's talk about a question you asked me.
1: Well, right. So I was thinking about stuff I don't know. Uh, Which is a lot. And one of the things I don't know about or know very little about, because every time I think about it, it makes my brain hurt like taxes or mutual funds. Like every time I think about them, they make it my brain starts to hurt. But Mm -hmm. another one of those things is quantum physics or quantum mechanics, because I know the bit like, okay, so this is what I know. Quantum means teeny tiny things like a grain of sand in a desert or a water molecule in the ocean, tiny, and mechanics is kind of how they move function or whatever. And then I know that there are there's a lot of confusion about quantum mechanics and they try to keep it as simple as they can. But basically, like if you identify one particle, then you can't identify where it is or when it like there's just a lot of like confusion. Basically, it's unknowable. Is that correct?
0: Okay, so presumptuously. I think I know a little bit about quantum mechanics just because I've been fascinated by it for such a long time.
1: Didn't you write a song about it?
0: Well, We Are All Made of Stars is sort of based on astrophysics. Okay, okay. So if there's any really smart quantum mechanics out there who take issue with what I'm about to say, by all means, please let us know. Because I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love to know more. But I'm... I will hopefully not too pedantically let you know what I know about quantum mechanics. Okay, great. So let's put it in a little bit of context. I'm speaking great generalizations. Before quantum mechanics, there was Newtonian physics, Isaac Newton. And Isaac Newton knew that Newton, he sort of invented, I mean, you know, he's the the apple fell on his head famously. Like he just sort of, quote unquote, discovered gravity. And he, to an extent, proposed some laws of physics that governed the material world it was like how how big stuff moved around Mm-hmm. You know, it had weight, it had mass, it fell out of trees. It, if you drop a feather and a bowling ball, gravity still affects them the same way, largely. Mm-hmm. So Newtonian, Newtonian physics is the, the physics of the observable world, mm-hmm. or the world that's kind of easy to observe. And what's fascinating is that Isaac Newton knew that they were limited. Like he's, he's intellectually, scientifically one of my heroes, like really remarkable man. Like his expression was, "I'm describing the beach while looking at the ocean." Mm. The idea was like he's like we're describing something small. There's something a lot bigger out there. We just don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. So then, along comes the 20th century, and this is where I get a little like the the historical aspect of it. I mean, I know there was like Einstein, obviously, who was a patent clerk in Switzerland. So. He was a a patent clerk who also wrote about physics, and turns out he wrote some. He had remarkable insights and was incredibly smart. And around this time, a lot like a lot of early 20th century physicists, and this is where someone much smarter than me could just like rattle off a bunch of names. But I think of like Max Planck and Schrodinger and uh, people who started observing the nature of very small things, Mm -hmm. you know, especially being able to start observing things on a subatomic level. Mm -hmm. And what, and and sorry if any of this is really self-evident, but hopefully maybe people, to you or people listening, it's not that obvious, is the more they observed things on a subatomic level, the stranger things became meaning the old laws of Newtonian physics sort of no longer applied on a subatomic level. I think Ant-Man sort of deals with this in a very uncomfortable, wrong way. Mm -hmm. But on a subatomic level, which is, you know, on a subatomic level, it's the building blocks of everything. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it seems like the laws of gravity fall apart. And the strangest thing to me is like, it, it basically means that almost all of human physics can be practical but are pointing us in a very wrong direction is the nature of light. Because for the most part, like Einstein posited that nothing in the universe can go faster than light. There's a good chance that's wrong. That there might be some things out there that quote unquote move faster than light. Um, I think Higgs bosons maybe uh, or neutrinos. But also neutrinos. dudes to my
1: yard when I start using my pickup lines. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Yeah, when you start using Hogwarts pickup lines. Yeah. <laughs> so, here is something in terms of like you were talking about things that make your brain hurt, mm-hmm. like taxes and mutual funds. One of the things that I find almost liberating in its that it's so confusing is that light can either be a particle or a wave. It means the nature of light is unknowable to us. And apparently... The observer can, to an extent, influence whether it manifests as a particle or a wave.
1: How do they do that?
0: No one knows. On a quantum level, having... An ostensibly sentient, conscious observer affects the outcome of the experiment.
1: Is that like Schrodinger's cat?
0: Yeah. Like the observer is a part of the experiment, but not in an anecdotal way, not in an abstract way, but in an actual real way that apparently, and I've never done this, maybe we should get some magic device that enables us to turn light into a particle or a wave. And the observer affects the outcome. I remember this is what first sparked my interest in quantum mechanics. Years ago, I read something about how in a vacuum, you know, in a vacuum, there's nothing. Not, not a Dyson vacuum, but a, a, a vacuum in space where there's, there's nothing. There's no matter. There's nothing. Physicists were able to measure a vacuum, and they found that on a subatomic level, particles just started appearing. They compared it to the equivalent of a Volkswagen bug appearing in your living room for a hundredth of a second and then disappearing.
1: But why and from where?
0: the majority of the universe is dark matter. And dark matter is such a misnomer because we call it dark matter simply because we don't know what it is. We can't see it. But the weight of the universe is unknowable to us. And so then it sort of begs the question, well, then why are we even talking about the observable universe when the majority of the universe is non-observable?
1: Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, I guess there's nothing we can do about the unobservable, but I can do something about a VW bug, like drive around and be the coolest girl in town.
0: (laughs) So another really cool idea is superposition, Mm
1: -hmm. which
0: is when you have two particles that are connected, they can be very far away from each other. And this is something moving faster than the speed of light. When one spins in a certain way, the other will respond to that. But they can be very, very far apart. They can be the equivalent of the sun and the next sun apart, and somehow they're connected. Like how? How? So there are these connections. But between, what makes
1: it? Why? Why isn't that just a random thing? I mean, there's all these particles. They're all spinning some direction. What makes them think that they're connected?
0: I guess maybe in like the Large Hadron Collider or places where they can isolate individual particles. They'll have like they'll split one particle into smaller particles. And those smaller particles, when one spins in a certain direction, the other will spin in the opposite direction or the same direction. Like they're they're connected, even though they're the equivalent of 100 million miles apart.
1: Let me ask you this. Do you think that the Hadron Collider is changing the course of our lived experience on this planet? Because there are people that do.
0: I know that there are some people who are afraid that they're going to create a singularity or a black hole. hmm It's within the realm of possibility. So maybe, who knows, they might create what's a stable singularity that suddenly eats up the entire planet. That would suck. No pun intended. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated with quantum mechanics, but clearly don't know what I'm talking about to a large extent, (laughs) is... What bigger question is there than what's the nature of existence? There's no other question. I mean, everything else is like a fun question or a practical question. But like, what other question is there? The nature of existence. I
1: mean, that's what every religion since the beginning of time has been trying to figure out, right?
0: And every philosopher, every spiritual tradition, every scientist. So I, I, I enter the realm of thinking that as humans... I don't think that we are capable of understanding the nature of existence.
1: With our little brains.
0: And I had this conversation a few years ago with some physicists where I asked them, I was like, is there a model of the universe that doesn't involve time, matter, or gravity? And they are like, um, sort of. But that's, it's like basically if you remove every way in which we traditionally measure the universe... I think that's what the actual truth of existence might be.
1: Like our spirits. Our spirit like, <laughs> like, like a spirit isn't held by that.
0: Yeah. Like I, I think But if we, we also
1: can't observe a spirit.
0: I think if we remove time, I don't think there's such a thing objectively as time. I think it's just something we observe. But if you think about it, my question about time is first of all, you can't really ever point to time. We can talk the, the effects of aging, we can talk about entropy but time itself it seems like no one's ever able to define like we can talk about the past but there's never been a present the moment we say the word present it's already, it's already past. Gone. and my feeling is that things are there's no before there's no after there's just simply existence which is really interesting because that's actually the hebrew word for god kind of describes that how do you mean? Do you know why Jesus was supposedly crucified?
1: Um, because he was too outspoken?
0: Because he said two words that you're not allowed to say. And it's so fascinating. So, the, I believe the Sadducees or the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Who are you? And he supposedly said, Who do you say I am? And they said, Well, some people say you're the Son of Man. Some people say you're this. Here's why he was crucified, and a lot of people don't know this. He said... Before Noah, before Abraham, I am. It's the most interesting thing. He didn't say I was. He said before Noah, before Abraham, I am. And he was crucified for those two words. I am. I am, which is roughly a translation of Yahweh. Interesting. So it's so fascinating that the Hebrew name of God is an entity removed from time. And that's why Jesus was crucified.
1: Because he said that he was an entity removed from time.
0: Yeah, before Noah, before Abraham, I am. So, this is what obsesses me when I go hiking, because I love our physical anthropomorphized experience of existence. Mm -hmm. I love the world that we perceive where there's color, there's air, there's delicious food that we can eat, there's bagel to play with, like the physical Newtonian world. I love it. I think it's so interesting. But the question is, Is there any part of it that points to the actual objective nature of existence?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Neither do I. Uh Uh-oh, my brain started to hurt thinking about all of it. Yeah. Oh, no. What do we do? I need to kiss Bagel. (laughs) (laughs) Come here, Bagel. I got to kiss you. I thought too much about particles. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
0: Well, that's, I had this philosophy professor years ago called Bill Fink, and he was my favorite teacher of all time. Bill Fink? Yeah. So, Bill, if you're listening, you're Professor Bill Fink, PhD, Doctorate of Philosophy, the greatest philosophy professor I ever had because he was so lighthearted about all this. He would say, he's, he's like, yeah, sure, I can deconstruct Newtonian physics. I can, on a quantum level, prove to you that nothing exists. I can prove to you that there's no metric by which humans observe or describe the universe that's objectively real. He's like, but I'm still going to enjoy eating a delicious apple. And Mm -hmm. when that bus comes down the street, I'm still going to get out of the way. Yeah. So it's he, he called it naive realism. Mm-hmm. And I guess the phenomenology is sort of inspired by that as well.
1: So I was listening to this podcast by this like very fancy Swami type guy. And he was talking about how everything we learn, everything we do, everything we touch, everything we eat, everyone we know are meaningless unless it changes the unknowable part of your spirit. So his kind of thing, I think, on a quantum level is saying, unless it shifts the particles inside of you or gets you closer to the particles inside of you that make you who you are, then maybe it's meaningless. Like the books you read won't matter, but how it changed your spirit will matter if it changes your spirit.
0: It's a beautiful idea. Mm -hmm. I, I I mean, I have no idea if it's true or not.
1: I don't either, but I really loved it because it makes me like, okay, yeah, if it's not changing or shifting or expanding whatever I deem as my own spirit, then what's the point in doing it?
0: And I guess there's a really interesting aspect to that, which is the majority of us, including me, including you, including everybody for the most part, we are wedded to the material world. Mm -hmm. And I started singing that Madonna song in my head. but yeah but without material food we starve without material water we die without material mm-hmm. air we die like it's clear that like we are very wedded to the material world with the understanding that the material world doesn't really exist so it's such a paradox how can we be fully in this material world that a little bit of scrutiny proves doesn't exist
1: well it exists in a way that sustains the Particles inside of us yeah. to an extent. Yeah, that, Bill
0: Fink called it naive realism. Yeah, like, like, I'm, like, that bus might not exist, but I'm still going to get out of the way.
1: But also, if we are experiencing the particle or the wave, then the particle or wave does exist, right? Yeah. So then we would, in turn, exist for making the particle exist and everything else around it.
0: It makes me think of one of one of my favorite spiritual texts. I've talked about the Tao Te Ching. Mm-hmm. And um, how when I was 15 years old, I had a crush on Louise Stoner and she didn't like me, but she got me interested in Taoism. Mm-hmm. And so I still love the Tao De Ching. Which
1: until I met you, I called Taoism. <laughs> Most people
0: do. I probably did as well. I think. I think <laughs> I called it Taoism for a few decades until someone corrected me. Yeah. And there's a restaurant called Tao. So like, yeah. Taoism, Taoism. Yeah. <laughs> can I read you the, what I think is the best description of the non-corporeal quantum world Sure. that was written 5,000 years ago? Great. Okay, here you go. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The nameless is the beginning of heaven and earth. The named is the mother of things. Ever desireless, one can see the mystery, and ever desiring, one can only see the manifestations. These two come from the same source, but they differ in name. This is darkness. Darkness within darkness is the gate to all mystery. 5000 years ago.
1: Yeah, I might need to go back and read that slowly once or twice <laughs> to kind of really get the <laughs> grasp that puppy. <laughs> yep.
0: It's yeah. It's
1: fun being me because everything is unknowable. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that's just the nature of humanity and like and the alternative <laughs> is to be like Trump and to think that if you have enough stuff, if you can just have enough gold and enough hamburgers and en- enough wigs <laughs> that everything is gonna be fine,
1: yeah, but also I think where things get tricky is when you lose the flexibility of knowing that it's impossible to know and you think you know everything and you become rigid in that mm-hmm. and you become brittle
0: and it's understandable because, like we get old and like people are constantly trying to figure out how do you how do you make this existence. As comfortable and meaningful as possible. And maybe the only answer is to enjoy playing with bagel.
1: Enjoy your cool tent in the Fugees. (laughs) And
0: but also to have compassion for yourself and others because existence is confusing, Mm -hmm. you know. We get old, we get sick, we're lonely, we're scared, we're confused, we're alive for a couple of decades in a universe that's unknowable. So, of course, everybody's confused and having compassion, even for as hard as this is, like the Trumps of the world, who are clearly just like they're waging war against the universe. They're trying to hold on to some desperate physical, corporeal idea of what life is and it's making them miserable, it's making them sick, but we can, if possible, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's too much to ask for compassion for a Trump or a Steve Bannon.
1: Well, I think that's the ultimate exercise in building your compassion muscle because it's very hard to when they kind of go against everything that you believe. Since we talked so much about quantum physics and we mentioned we are all made of stars, which has to do with
0: Quantum Mechanics or Yes. Of, yeah, astrophysics.
1: Astrophysics. Um, I thought maybe you could do and we just cause we just did a Bossa Nova version of Beautiful, maybe you do a Bossa Nova version of We're All Made of Stars. That's okay. fine, right?
0: I don't have the fancy Bossa Nova drum machine. So how about uh, just on ac- on acoustic guitar? Yeah, great. Okay, but let's let's give it a try. Growing in numbers and growing in speed I can't fight the future Can't fight what I see You ready? Cause people, people they come together People they
1: fall, they fall apart, apart. No, no one can stop us now
0: We are
1: all made of stars
0: Efforts of lovers Left in my mind I sing in the reaches We'll see where we find People they come together
1: (laughs) People they fall apart
0: No one can stop us now.
1: As we are
0: only the stars. good should we say goodbye
1: yeah thank you so much um if you're still here you are unknowably cool because you've stuck around like a real one um so thank you for listening go rate and talk about this to your friends Thank you so much to Jonathan Nesvadba, who edits and does the music production on this podcast like a boss. Um, and thank you to Human Content for uh, for getting this podcast out into your ears. And I'd also like to thank Erwin uh, Schrodinger, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, and Albert Einstein for Helping us figure out what we're talking about in Hel- the very most basic way.
0: Well, helping us to recognize that there is nothing about the observable universe that has any sort of objective truth. Did I just ruin our ending? We're like <laughs> singing our nice little song, kissing bagel, saying thank you, and then all of a sudden I had to come back along and be like, oh, but, and just a reminder there's nothing about the universe. That can be known. Thanks and good night. (laughs)